0: mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america and a member FDIC. three two one When i'm working out i love to listen to your podcast whenever you say something other people react to it taking my breath away aaron fern lundquist joins me hall of famer jim calhoun nascar icon dale earnhardt jr kirk herbstreet is on the phone here we welcome in, everybody. Episode 305 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, October 13th, 2020. People, hope everybody had a great Monday and hope that you enjoyed that mega long, exhaustive recap of the week that was in college football on Monday. show. Great show. You guys seem to love it. The download numbers were great, so I appreciate your support. And now it's time to roll into Tuesday's episode. Tuesday has quickly become, I guess you would call it a little hodgepodge of everything, right? Last couple weeks, we've talked about the NBA playoff ratings. We've talked with Nick Coffee. We've done this. We've done that. Today, I want to hit on three topics before I get to where Aaron was right, right where Aaron was wrong. One, I do very quickly want to hit on the NBA Finals. Game 6 ended late Sunday after I had recorded. Really no strong opinions on the Finals, but just kind of want to wrap up the NBA season. I know so many of you are basketball fans, a lot of Kentucky fans who were obviously happy to see Anthony Davis, Rajon Rondo, and Frank Vogel win an NBA title. We will transition to the story that I promised you we would talk about. Greg Marshall, head coach at Wichita State. Uh, yeah, that guy's in a lot of trouble. So uh, the allegations are damning. We will get into it on all accounts what it means, what happens next. Because right now in college basketball, this is by far the biggest story. As Greg Marshall, I think, is holding on to his job by a thread. And we'll transition back to college football where people are trying to turn a Dan Mullen comment, Dan Mullen, the head coach at Florida, into a controversy, and yeah, it just isn't, and I will defend Dan Mullen on that. We will wrap, as we do every Tuesday, with Where Aaron Was Right, Where Aaron Was Wrong, a fun little segment that I love doing with you guys. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Obvious reason being, if you're subscribed, this episode gets delivered straight to your phone. You can subscribe on any of the platforms that you listen to podcasts, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show as well. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars, really does help us move up those iTunes charts. Uh, Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram at Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter. Uh, The YouTube channel, just search Aaron Torres. Got a lot of good videos going up there. As I said on Monday's episode, really ever since uh, this this college football season started, have been aggressive posting stuff from this show on the YouTube page, and the numbers are blowing up. So thank you for those of you who have gone over there. And finally, I'm on Facebook, Aaron Torres Writer. If you do have any questions also, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com and with that said people there is no more time to waste let's get into all of the big comings and goings on Monday in sports and really where I want to start is actually late Sunday night because as I mentioned a moment ago the NBA finals obviously came to a conclusion late Sunday the Lakers do beat the Miami Heat and clinch the organization's, I believe, 18th NBA championship, maybe 17th, who really cares, it's a lot of championships for the Lakers, and it's obviously the first one uh, since 2011, it's the first one since Kobe's passing, it's the first one since LeBron got to LA, it's the first one since AD got to LA, and uh, and so yeah, I just kind of want to put a bow on the season, I really, as I said, don't have any particularly strong opinions, but again, because of the fact that so many of you are Kentucky fans with Anthony Davis, Frank Vogel, and Rajon Rondo, because some of you just flat out like the NBA, just really wanted to wrap briefly. And my only real thoughts are a couple things. One, I am happy for the guys on the Lakers, and I know that the Lakers historically are not the most uh, 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 traditionally likable franchise, especially if you don't live in Los Angeles. I do live in Los Angeles. I'm not even a Lakers fan. Uh, But if you look at this, this particular group, I don't know if they're quote unquote likable, but there are a lot of guys to be happy for, right? I think first of all, I think you could be happy for Frank Vogel. I mean, everybody kind of talks about uh, Eric Spoelstra's unique path to an NBA championship, and he started in the film room in Miami, and like that's all true, but like Frank Vogel did too. Like, Frank Vogel was at Kentucky during those late Patino years where the team was a juggernaut. He started out as a student manager, turned into a video guy, worked his way all the way up the NBA totem pole, and then, honestly, you feel kind of bad for him because he had a couple teams in Indiana that were probably good enough to make the NBA Finals, but they fell short to uh, cleave, uh the Miami Heat with LeBron. Then Paul George broke his, I think it was his leg, maybe his ankle, whatever, and that Kind of ended. He ends up in Orlando and never really got a fair shake from there. And so, one, I just think it's a cool story. Frank Vogel, former student manager at Kentucky, that's how he got his start in basketball, getting an NBA championship listen I'm also excited for Anthony Davis I do know that I have been critical at times uh, of the way that he left New Orleans but I will also say that on the biggest stage in basketball he stepped up and proved that he is a true superstar right this isn't an NBA podcast I'm not going to do my seven most important players in the NBA rankings or anything like that but what I'll say is I don't think there's anybody like him on the planet, you know, a seven-footer that can step out, that can hit threes, that can put the ball on the floor. I know that Giannis is about the same size, but Giannis is, of course, more of a power forward than a center. Uh, And Anthony Davis, to his credit, on the biggest stage, stepped up and was phenomenal, was maybe the Lakers' best player over the course of the entire NBA playoffs. Uh, and just really prove that he's a superstar, prove that he belongs in the short conversation of the best players in the NBA right now. So I'm happy for that kid. He's always been a humble kid. I mean, I you know I remember him back at Kentucky. I remember him uh, back in high school covering him back then. Humble kid, happy to see his success. And finally, I'll just say, like, in a lot of ways, I'm happy for LeBron. Now, listen, I think there are some things that he's done off the court that kind of drive me crazy. There are some things that I wish, uh, whatever, there are things that he's done off the court that drive me crazy. But I think that for a guy that is almost universally believed to be the second greatest basketball player of all time. I do think the guy takes an awful lot of crap, right? There are obviously certain media members that will never put him ahead of Michael Jordan, and that's fine. That's their prerogative. But I do think that when we talk about LeBron, I think the idea that uh, we, 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 we drag him down in a sense that have we ever talked about somebody being the second greatest person in the history of their profession If you do believe that LeBron is behind Michael Jordan, have we ever talked about anybody that is the second best in the history of their profession in such a negative way, right? Like Joe Montana or Tom Brady is one of the two greatest quarterbacks of all time. Nobody tries to tear down Joe Montana because he only won five Super Bowls instead of six like Tom Brady. Nobody tears down Tom Brady because he lost two Super Bowls and Joe Montana went undefeated. And so I don't know. I mean, I don't know why all of a sudden this is just like this never ending talking point about LeBron versus MJ, LeBron versus. Like, who cares? They were completely different players in completely different eras. Michael Jordan obviously has his uh, things on his resume that are indisputable. Six NBA championships and six finals opportunities. LeBron has the things on his resume that are indisputable. One, he is playing at an insane level later into his career than basically anybody in the history of the sport. Two, he just won his third championship with his third different team. And like, why does it always have to be an argument? Why can't we just be like, yeah, LeBron is absolutely incredible, and we will never see another player like him ever the rest of our lives, so how about we just go ahead and enjoy it? And so outside of that, I really have no really like big-picture, amazing takeaways. The Lakers were the best team since the playoffs started. They were the preseason favorites. They largely delivered on their promise. I always give credit to a team that is perceived to be the favorite and ends up coming through. And I think the Lakers did that without a doubt this year. I also think that, you know, there's no reason to talk about, uh, you know, what what everybody else did on Monday, which is the legacy of, like, like to me, as I just said a minute ago, one, we should celebrate LeBron, enjoy him, and appreciate him, because once he's gone, we will never see anybody else like him, and two, I think it's a totally fake, contrived debate for TV when we try to, oh, well, well does this move him to number one, and what is, like, I don't think... Anything changed, right? Like, I think the people that thought he was number one clearly think he's the best after winning another championship, his fourth with three different organizations. And I think the people that don't believe he's ahead of Michael Jordan, they're not going to put him ahead of Michael Jordan for winning a championship in a bubble under the circumstances that he did. So, listen, I, I I know you guys probably want me to go hotter, want me to go crazier, want me to go off on the way the NBA Finals played out, but to me, it just feels like a situation where I have no – like, crazy hot takes. The best team won. They deserve to win. You can argue about uh, other issues with the NBA, the ratings, how teams come together, how players switch rosters left and right. But in terms of actual basketball, the Lakers were the best team. They deserve to win a title. And I am so tired of the well, LeBron versus MJ. What, where, what does this game mean for this guy's – it's like, no – They're both incredible players. Let's just enjoy them. All right, enough NBA ranting. And by the way, that'll be the last NBA I talk on this show for a while. Also, really quickly, shout out to College Hoops because with no NBA, we're not getting any basketball on our TVs again until the night before Thanksgiving. That's when College Hoops starts. And I'll just say really quickly, not a ton of College Hoops content right now, but when college hoop season gets here, it's going to be full speed ahead because there is going to be a lot of college f- basketball on during the re- during the week and nothing else. Like I think that's something that's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle here over the last couple weeks as this NBA season wraps up as we start talking about what college basketball season could look like. If you're a college basketball fan, this is going to be a great November and December and early January for you because there's no NBA competing with college basketball. And so as we start to talk about how the schedules are going to come together and what does it mean and who's going to play where and what bubble is this and Baylor that and Gonzaga this and Kentucky that and Tennessee this, it's going to be a great couple buds for college basketball because I think we're going to be tuning into college hoops every night I understand that it will always be a niche sport I understand that the people who listen who like it you know the people who listen to this show largely like it I understand that the reality is that people that aren't diehard college hoops fans will never be diehard college hoops fans no matter who's playing no matter what's going on But listen, we're all looking for something to watch on a Saturday or on a Tuesday night, especially once it gets to November and December when the weather gets cold outside in most of the country. So I think it'll be a great couple months for college hoops. Speaking of college hoops, let's transition to your boy, Greg Marshall. And when I say your boy, I mean your boy because he's not my boy, because I want nothing to do with the guy but big story in college hoops and i'm sure most of you kind of already have the background but for those who maybe listen frankly i think a lot of us kind of got it got lost in the shuffle because of college football because of the nfl and because of the nba but what you need to know about greg marshall is this greg marshall head coach wichita state incredibly successful head coach made the final four in 2013 undefeated regular season in 2014 Seven straight trips to the NCAA tournament from the 2011-2012 season to 2018-2019. This year, they were on the verge of going to another NCAA tournament before the season was canceled. And when the season was canceled, uh, something kind of important happened that was kind of a preview of what has come this week. And what happened after the season was this. Wichita State had a bunch of dudes transfer out of the program. And that might feel like no big deal, but I think it is in the context of this. If you can think back to March 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, I'm talking a day or two after the NCAA tournament was canceled. If you can remember back to that time, you will remember that the whole world was frozen in uncertainty, right? We didn't know if we could leave our houses. We went to the grocery store. We'd come right home. We didn't know what to do. We were stocking up. We were stealing stuff off the shelves. Nobody could get toilet paper. Remember that awful time in March of 2020 when we couldn't get toilet paper? Nobody knew what was going on. Everybody was hesitant to to do anything Except at Wichita State, where the day after the season ended, three players entered the transfer portal. And within a week, six players entered the transfer portal. And what was crazy about it was you couldn't make the argument that uh, it was just a bunch of guys at the end of the bench that weren't happy with their playing time. That was certainly part of it. There was a guy or two that left that was probably looking for more playing time. But when they left, first of all, it was the abruptness of it, right? Because again, Guys were hesitant to do anything in March 13th, 14th, 15th because they didn't know what the world was going to look like. They didn't know when it was going to get back to normal, if they were going to be able to visit campuses. And so to have three players leave the day after the season is canceled, and oh, by the way, after that, you have six players in total enter the portal, one did eventually come back, it raised eyebrows, and it raised eyebrows for the reason that I was about to get to that I kind of danced around and I didn't get to. That was that you couldn't make the case it was the guys at the end of the bench because two of the team's leading three scorers entered the transfer portal. Guard named Jamarius Burton, who's now at Texas Tech. Wing named Eric Stevenson, who is now at Washington. And they also had a kid named Grant Sherfield, who was a freshman who was third on the team in minutes, who entered the transfer portal. And so you couldn't make the case it was a bunch of malcontents at the end of the bench and you didn't really know why. Well, we started to get a reason. We started to figure out why over the course of the last week uh, because Wichita State is under fire. And what essentially happened is this. Late Thursday, you're watching Bucks, Bears, Tom Brady can't do anything. He's got a noodle arm. He doesn't know how many downs there are, all that stuff. The Athletic puts out a report that essentially says that Wichita State is currently in the midst of an internal investigation Surrounding its basketball program, really stemming from two incidents. One, there was a belief that Greg Marshall, the head coach, had pushed a player named Morris, Ude- uh, not Morris, a uh, Shaq Morris, excuse me. And then a second incident in which he kind of yelled and screamed at a student who was parking in his parking space. So that sounds bad, right? But then, like two minutes later, Jeff Goodman, probably the best. Big J, capital journalist that covers college basketball, and and I'm kind of saying that tongue in cheek, but I mean it sincerely. He's an excellent journalist, puts out this damning report. It's six months in the making, and I'm pretty sure it stemmed from the question that I asked a minute ago. If If you go back six months... That's the middle of March when everybody was transferring from Wichita and when everybody was trying to figure out what was going on at, at Wichita State. And Jeff Goodman kind of got to the bottom of it because he had a scathing, damning report in which basically Craig Marshall was accused pretty much of everything wrong that a coach could do in every way possible by dozens of players. The kid Shaq Morris that was alleged to have been pushed in the previous article Well, this article, Jeff Goodman talked to Shaq Morris and he said on the record, not only was I pushed, I was punched in the face. So the head coach at Wichita State punches a kid in the face. It is corroborated, in other words, four, five, six other people that were at in the gym at that point confirmed it, including one other person on the record using their name confirmed that this thing happens. So it's not one malcontent, it's four, five, six guys saying it. Then you have another incident in which Greg Marshall apparently choked an assistant coach, which is relatively unprecedented. I mean, coaches get into fights all the time. I don't know how, how often they're choking them. And then there's all these other random things that pop up. One, there's some uh, accusations of kind of some comments with some racial undertones. Uh, There's a player, he's actually still at Wichita State, named Isaiah Poor Bear Chandler, who is of Native American descent. According to Goodman's report, this is a direct quote, Greg Marshall told him to, quote, get back on his horse and then made some quote-unquote Indian howling noises at him during a practice not last season, but the season before. Uh, There was also an accusation that they had a player at Wichita State last year named Jamie Echenique, who was from Columbia, and according to Goodman's report, uh, Marshall told that guy that uh he would make a good coffee bean picker because apparently the guy wasn't very good at catching the basketball and so I don't even really understand the analogy but obviously Columbia known for its coffee uh there was a situation this is the the most bizarre one that I I saw is that um is that uh he told a player uh Eric Stevenson who I mentioned transferred he's a white kid He did not take a jump shot in practice when Greg Marshall thought that he should take the jump shot. And so later in film session, Greg Marshall said this, and this is again a quote from the Jeff Goodman article, I think you're afraid of brothers, guys raised by their grandparents eating PB&Js. And so that appears to be a comment about African-American players that essentially this white kid was afraid of African-American players when he was playing uh, on the other side of the ball, and so there's other accusations, but those are the gist, right, I mean, it's 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 punching a player, it's choking an assistant, uh, and it's making racial slurs, there's also all kinds of just verbal abuse beyond the racial slurs, uh, but yeah, let me just tell you right now, that's not very good, and at the very least, it does help explain kind of some of the turnover and turmoil at Wichita State, uh, but yeah, it's not good, and Wichita State has announced that they're in the middle of this investigation. Greg Marshall has released a statement that he believes that while he was, um, you know, trying to motivate players or trying to, uh, you know, inspire them, trying to push them beyond their comfort zone, uh, that he but he doesn't believe that he crossed any lines in terms of who he is as a person or how he treated his players. And so let's get into the nitty-gritty because... Uh, like, this is a crazy story. He he allegedly punched a player, choked a coach, and made all kinds of racial remarks. And what I would say is this. Before we go any further, like, I do want to say, um, I think most of you guys have listened to this podcast long enough, listened to this show long enough to know that I'm not a big, uh, oh, we always have to defend the players and the coaches are always wrong. It's like, no. A couple years ago when Tom Izzo was screaming at Aaron Henry I was kind of like, dude, that's part of basketball. Sometimes you get yelled at by your coach. I defend Nick Saban when he goes crazy on the sidelines. I defend Kirby Smart when he goes crazy on the sidelines. I defend, obviously, Jim Calhoun, one of the greatest coaches ever that I grew up watching. These guys were all yellers. And that's part of the sports culture, like it or not, is that there is a lot of yelling and screaming. And so as a general rule, As you guys know, I try to look at both sides of a story. I try not to to too many generalities. I try not to make too many assumptions, and I try to be fair to both sides. But what I would say is while sports are filled with coaches who are yellers and screamers, uh, yeah, I think it's safe to say that if the allegations are true... And Greg Marshall does deserve the benefit of the doubt. He deserves to be have his side of the story presented to this internal investigation. But if the allegations are true, yeah, he crossed every line, right? So first of all, there's a difference between yelling and screaming. There's a difference between using swear words. There's a difference between dropping, you know, calling a guy an MF or something of that nature, which some of you, by the way, are probably offended by. Me personally, that's the coaching that I grew up with, so I don't have as much of a problem with it. I think it's largely been taken out of sports, really, probably since I played sports two decades ago. But like I understand that's part of sports. I understand that's how it is. And so ultimately that kind of language, as crude as it may be in any other walk of life, like I really don't have that much of a problem with it. Where the line gets crossed though is the alleged uh, uh, racial allegations. You cannot tell a Native American player to get back on a horse. You cannot tell a Colombian player, that he's going to be a coffee bean picker. You cannot talk about uh, African-American players as guys being raised by their grandmas who ate PB&J. That's ridiculous. That's unacceptable. You cannot say things like that. And we all have our different backgrounds. We all have our different ethnicities. We all have our different you know buttons. Obviously, I'm part Hispanic. Like, There's not a lot that would offend me, but you just can't say that no matter what you mean. And you can't claim that it's in inspired by trying to be a good head coach that you just don't have to say that it does what it doesn't even make sense I don't know where you would even come up with the idea of telling a a Native American kid to get back on his horse like it doesn't even make any sense so that's one and then I think beyond that is the much bigger issue which is very simply you can't put your hands on players like you 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 just can't do it um And again, I understand sports are aggressive. I understand that things get physical and sometimes you're doing a box-out drill and maybe you throw an elbow that gets a little too close to the chin or whatever. Like I understand that sports are by nature not working in an office. You can't compare what happens in your office and what's acceptable in your office to what happens in the huddle in football or in a a rebounding drill in basketball. But I mean, this was a close-handed fist punched to the face, it had to be separated, and according to the reports, Fred van Vliet, who is now with the Wichita or with the uh, uh, t- Toronto Raptors played at Wichita State, basically went to Greg Marshall's pra- went to his office after practice and said, bro, we are not practicing again until you apologize to that dude for what you did. And so what I would say is, you can't touch a player, and I don't see how Greg Marshall survives this. And again, I'm not like Mr. Fire everybody and you can't be tough as a coach and you know, kids today have all like like no. And I do believe as I said a minute ago that a coach or anyone who is accused of these things deserves his day in court. And by court I mean in front of the investigators and all that stuff. What I would also say is Again, Jeff Goodman is really good at his job. And Jeff Goodman would not have published this article if he wasn't pretty sure that this stuff had actually happened. He got a couple players on the record to at the very least confirm that Shaq Morris was punched. He has many more players confirming that all of these incidents happened. And I just don't know how you survive it. And I will say in Greg Marshall's defense, before we kind of wrap up on this topic, he has had players come out to support him, former players who are no longer with the program, uh Nick Wiggins and Cleanthony Early who are part of those two really really good teams in 2013 um, they in ca- 2013 when the team went to the final 4 2014 when the team finished the regular season undefeated he has had players from those teams come out and defend him and again, he has defended himself releasing a statement saying, you know, I, I, I was tough, I was gruff, I was at times not a very nice person, but I don't have like a, a malicious bone in my body basically. But what I would also say in terms of the players defending him is that those players left in 2014 and all these accusations happen after they left. So while these players are saying that, yes, he's tough, but he built us into men and we love coach and all that stuff, They weren't there for the specific incidents that happened here over the last couple years in which Greg Marshall is being accused of. But to wrap up on this topic as we start to get out of here, what I would essentially say is, I just don't see how he survives this. And I'm not rooting for him to get fired. I think think that he probably thought in his head that this was just how you coach, and he's in his mid-50s, and this was how he was raised as a coach, and sometimes you gotta get tough with your players. But I'll tell you this. One, as I said... You can't put your hands on players, and obviously the racial comments are completely unacceptable. And to take it to a further level, I just don't see how this internal investigation ends well for him because the players who talk to Goodman are willing to talk to the school. And the way that I look at it, if you read the report uh, or the statement from the university about the investigation, it very clearly looks as though it is the school trying to do an investigation so that they can fire him with cause. And for people who don't understand with cause versus without cause, if you just want to fire a coach because he's not very good, that's fine, you can do it, but you owe them all the money that's on their contract. And what you do when you fire somebody without cause is that you, you fire them for a reason that is essentially a breach of contract and that you will not owe them any money for actually firing them. And so with this situation with Greg Marshall... He's owed $15 million if he is fired without cause. And so I believe that the lawyers involved are looking to confirm these reports. They are looking to fire him with cause so they do not have to pay out the remainder of his salary. And I'll just be honest, I'd be surprised if he's the head coach at Wichita State maybe six or eight months from now. Can he survive this situation? I don't think so. Can he survive through the week? Yes. Can he survive maybe even into the season as the investigation is ongoing? I do believe he probably can if he wants to fight it, but eventually the truth is going to come out. I believe he deserves a chance to present his side of the truth, but I just don't know how this many people say this many things about you and you end up keeping your job. All right, really quick college football topic I want to get to. Then we'll play a little where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. All right, so the topic I want to get to is... Your boy Dan Mullen. I know a lot of you, you, you got a lot of boys over there, man. Your boys with everybody. for boys with Greg Marshall, your boys with Dan Mullen. Anyway, Dan Mullen kind of finds himself in this like fake controversy that people want to start and people want to kind of make him to be a bad guy, and it's surrounding COVID, and so obviously, anytime that anyone says anything other than, than that no one should ever leave their house, they're the bad guy. They want everybody to die, all that stuff. And so what Dan Mullen said was essentially this. It came after the Florida-Texas A&M game this past weekend. As I kind of joked on Monday's episode, um, essentially, Texas A&M, if you watch that game, it felt like there were a lot more than 25% capacity in the stands at Texas A&M. And you know who agrees with me? Dan Mullen. Because after the game, this is what he had to say about the situation. He said, the section behind our bench, I didn't see an empty seat it was packed. The entire student section must have been about 50,000 people behind our bench going crazy. And then he said, I absolutely want to see 90,000 people in the swamp. And he went on to say, hopefully that creates a home field advantage for us next week, because now we passed a law in our state that we can do that. I want to see our students out there cheering us on, giving us an advantage. And so essentially what Dan Mullen was saying was this, Texas A&M's crowd, which was probably more than 25% capacity, They really gave them a huge home field advantage this week. And now, for people who did not see this, there has been a law passed in Florida in which stadiums can operate at 100% capacity. Governor came out last week and said it, so the Tampa Bay Bucks, the Miami Dolphins, the Jacksonville Jaguars, as well as the Florida Gators can have 100% capacity if they choose to have it. Um, And so Dan Mullen just basically said, look... I hope we have 90,000 people in the swamp. I hope we create a true home field advantage next week because that's what we need. Texas AM had that this week. We need it next week. And so when he said it, like, I didn't really think it was a controversial comment because all he was saying was, now that the law is passed, I hope we're allowed to have a full, you know, a, a full stadium. And to be clear, you know who disagrees with Dan Mullen? His administration, because they said that even though the law has been changed, they plan on keeping it at 25% capacity. And so like any normal person I feel with a functioning brain would kind of just like the story would end there, right? Guy wants full stadium, full stadium is allowed by law, administration says no. But no, 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 no. That's not what happened. Of course not. The same media that has been uber critical of Anyone that wants sports to be played this year, oh, they are having a field day with this. The same media that didn't want college football, the same media that served as a mouthpiece for Kevin Warren and the Big Ten throughout much of this process, oh, they. Dan Mullen, the boogeyman. The boogeyman, Dan Mullen, the worst guy in the world because he wants to have a full stadium at Florida. So here is a sampling of some of what was said uh, about Dan Mullen. First of all, this is from Pat Forty, Sports Illustrated. He was kind of mocking uh, Dan Mullen, I guess you would say, and basically said uh, this about Dan Mullen, and he was basically trying to pretend to speak in Dan mullen ease, in other words, kind of translate what Dan Mullen was saying uh, when it came to these comments. This is what Pat Forty said. Um, he's, he's quoting Dan Mullen, but then turning into his own. And when I say I didn't see an empty seat, I'm exaggerating like crazy because everyone watching on TV could see empty seats. And this is Pat Forty pretending to be Dan Mullen. But I'm trying to use our governor as leverage to create our own super spreader event in hope that maybe it lures LSU into a couple of false start penalties this week. So he just basically said, like you know, there is going to be a like like if we let a full stadium of fans into the stands, it's going to be a crazy super spreader event, the likes of which that we have never seen. I would also add that the reason I am bringing this up is because at his press conference today, Dan Mullen was asked multiple times about the comments. Basically, the media trying to peer pressure him into saying that he was wrong for saying it. And essentially he just kept being like, dude, I'm focused on uh, I'm focused on LSU this weekend, man. I'm not I'm not answering your questions. I'm focused on LSU. Looking at a transcription of the interview of the comments, um, he said uh, I think Texas he said I'm really proud of how uh, this is what he said. Well, yeah, I've been they asked about, do you have any regrets about making the comments that you did? He said, I've been preparing for LSU, but I mean, I'll be honest. I think if you look at what we've been able to do, the safety precautions we have that our players have followed, our coaches have followed, our staff follows, you know, I think we're a model of what safety of what we've been doing during this time period. So I'm really proud of how we've handled everything and how safe we've been with everything. We're doing all the precautions and we're doing everything that makes sense. He was basically asked like, do you you want to apologize for saying that you want a full house? And he basically said no, like three times. And people kept asking him. And let me just say this. Stop trying to make Dan Mullen into the bad guy, okay? Drives me crazy that anybody, like I said, that says anything other than that people need to be under the covers in the house with a mask on are the most evil people in the world. People are trying to paint Dan Mullen as the bad guy here. This is what Dan Mullen said. This is what Dan Mullen said, and this is why I have no problem with it. All he said was, hey, The state law allows us to have 90,000 fans, and I hope we have 90,000 fans. And if we don't get 90,000, that's fine. I don't really care. But I hope that we have this opportunity to do it. And I don't understand why everyone is freaking out about this. Essentially, what Dan Mullen just said was this. Because remember, it is is allowed by the state law. It is allowed by legislatures. Legislatures have said, and the governor has said, stadiums are allowed at 100% capacity. What Dan Mullen basically said is imagine him being a restaurant owner and imagine him being, open, being allowed to open at 100% capacity and him doing an interview and said, I hope we sell every seat at the table. Would you blame a restaurant owner for saying that he wanted to sell every seat at the table? Because I want it and I, should, I don't think we should blame Dan Mullen. I think to take it a step further, I think, look, it's the same whether it's 10% capacity, 25% capacity, or no capacity at all, Okay. The fact remains that people are adults and consenting adults, and they have a choice not to come if they don't feel safe. There are probably people that are season ticket holders at Texas A&M, LSU, Alabama, Kentucky, Louisville, Tennessee, all these places that are allowing 25% capacity that have had the opportunity to go this year, and have basically just said, you know what, I'm probably going to pass. I don't feel safe. I don't think I should go. I could put somebody at risk. I'm not going to go. That's cool. They made that decision, they should be allowed to. And again, they should also be allowed to whether we're at 10% capacity or 20 or 25% capacity or or excuse me, or 100% capacity. Oh, by the way, later this week I'm about to get on a flight. Many of you have flown since this process started. What is safer? Being packed on a plane with other people in a tiny little vessel with no airflow circulation? Or being in a football stadium in the open air, even if it is jam-packed with 90,000. So it's just like, oh, by the way, how about this? Last thing. Lakers, championship celebration. People are riding in the streets. Thousands of people congregating all together. Now, I know that's something the the, the lawmakers would rather not have, but it happened. So you're telling me it's safe for thousands of people to ride in the streets of LA, but to not go to a football game. And so I'm just so tired of this, and what I'm tired of is people trying to make anybody into a bad guy that doesn't believe that we need to, like, we still need to be careful. I get it, okay? I understand it. We're still having games canceled because of this situation. Missouri Vanderbilt got canceled On Monday because there's too many positive COVID cases. Baylor, Oklahoma State got canceled because of positive COVID cases. I understand this virus is still serious. I understand that this virus still uh, affects thousands of families all across the country. I'm not trying to undersell it. All I'm trying to say is I don't think that we should make everybody into a bad guy that doesn't want to sit under their covers for the rest of their lives and wants to get on with their life. And if Dan Mullen under the law believes that he should have 90,000 fans in the stands, then that's his opinion and he's allowed it. And guess what? You know who else is allowed to have an opinion? The school president who said, "No, we're good with 25% capacity." So, that was kind of a rambling. I went all over the place, all that stuff, but I'm just so tired of all of this. I'm so tired of turning trying to turn people into bad guys. I'm so tired of the media trying to Back a guy into a corner and make him apologize for something that he doesn't have to apologize for. Credit to Dan Mullen for not doing it. I'm just so tired of this crap, man. And I'll tell you this, really excited for LSU uh, Florida this weekend, even though it'll only be 25% capacity. All right, before we get out of here, really quickly, do want to play America's favorite game? It'll be quick this week. Where Aaron was right. Where Aaron was wrong. Okay. Uh, you guys know how it goes. Obviously, look, I stole this bit from Colin Cowherd. Colin Cowherd's one of the best to do it in our, in our business, good friend of mine, been on his show many times. And Colin, you know, what he does, I think better than anybody in the business, is sometimes, you know, you gotta just, uh, you know, you gotta just own being wrong, right? And so I don't know what day it is, but once a week he does a segment call where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong, where he talks about the things he got right from the previous week and the things he got wrong from the previous week And essentially, I've stolen it for this show, and so here is today's segment of where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, the things that I've gotten right and wrong over the last couple months. All right, let's start with this, where Aaron was right. How about my Georgia Bulldogs? You guys know I have been crazy critical of Kirby Smart and Georgia over the last couple years, got into it on Monday's show, but essentially, like I just think you can't claim a playoff spot based on the fact that you are that you have a close loss to Alabama on your resume. Two years ago, Georgia tried to get into the playoff claiming they deserved a spot because their best win was actually a close loss to Alabama. But what I've also said throughout the, the summer into the fall is I actually really like this Georgia team. And what I said was I like the defense. I like the run game. I think the quarterback play will be good enough. And I'll tell you this, I'm largely right. Georgia has the second best defense in college football right now. Only team ahead of them is Houston, who, oh, by the way, has only played one game. Georgia is essentially the only team in the SEC still even trying to play defense. And I think they're really good. Don't know if they'll beat Bama this week, but I think it's indisputable that of the teams that are playing right now, the three best ones are Bama, Clemson, and Georgia. And then there's a big gap between number four and and I think Georgia's good enough to win a national championship this year. Now, will they? I don't know. They'll probably have to beat Bama at least once. That's going to be a challenge. But this is the best Georgia team since Kirby Smart has gotten there. And I nailed this one in the preseason. Where Aaron was wrong. <laughs> I don't even know if I ever said this on the podcast. But man, as we go back to the NBA Finals for a second, I completely whiffed on this year's NBA Finals. In the preseason... I had Clippers versus Celtics, and the idea behind it was I thought for the Celtics, Kemba Walker would be a major upgrade over Kyrie Irving in that locker room. Kyrie Irving is a cancer. Everywhere he goes, people don't like him. He took shots at LeBron last week, and I said, I'll be honest, I think Kemba's going to be a step up. Didn't see this heat thing coming, and didn't see the Lakers being able to beat the Clippers. Now, the Clippers did not necessarily lose to the Lakers, but they completely melted down in the second round, thought they had more behind them, thought Kawhi was a little bit of a better leader, thought Paul George was a little bit more mentally tough, but that was my finals. Neither of them even made the finals. Congratulations to the Lakers on winning the championship, where Aaron was right. I told you after week one, LSU stinks. I said the defense looks terrible. They can't block on the O-line. Miles Brennan, the quarterback, doesn't have time to run. Their skill position guys aren't as good as last year. And I said, like, I don't think this is a good team. Well, guess what? Not only did they lose to Mississippi State, they also took an L this weekend against Missouri, gave up 40-plus points to a Missouri team, by the way, that had its top five wide receivers all out with COVID and eventually had to cancel their game this coming Saturday because of a positive outbreak. Listen, the Ed Orgeron story was great last year. It was one of the best stories I've ever seen in sports. But they lost too much talent. They lost too many good coordinators. This is a 5-5 five five football team, guys. They're 1-2 right now, and they still have games against Alabama, Texas A&M, and Florida, which are probably three of the four best teams in the SEC. They also have Auburn on the schedule. Arkansas isn't going to be an easy out. Ole Miss isn't going to be an easy out. This is a 5-5 five and five football team, guys. LSU stinks. Where Aaron was wrong. Before I ever had a podcast, uh, I used to write for FoxSports.com. And when Tom Herman was hired at Texas, I really thought he was going to be pretty good. Like, I thought he was going to be a very good quarterback for Texas. Texas was going to be back. They were going to be in the national championship conversation. They were going to be amazing. Uh, yeah, I was wrong. Following the Red River shootout loss to uh, to Oklahoma over the weekend, Texas is now 27-17 and under Tom Herman. 18-12 and 12 in the Big 12, 1-3 and 3 in the rivalry game with Oklahoma, and they're not getting better. And I just want to know, what happened to the guy that was at Houston? That guy was awesome. That guy used to kiss players on the cheeks on the way into the stadium. You remember that guy? Well, that guy's gone. And not only is he gone, but he's really out of excuses at Texas right now. This is year four. The conference stinks. Your, your first recruiting class, which was a top 10 recruiting class when they came in, are now juniors, you've changed all the coordinators, the only constant is you, and the team still stinks, and again, the conference stinks. It'd be one thing if you're in the SEC and you gotta get past Bama and Florida and Georgia every year, but you don't. You basically gotta win one game to compete for a championship, and you can't even win that game. I'd also say this, even the year where they went 10 and four and won in the Sugar Bowl and Texas' bag, Sam Ellinger, guess what? I just said it. They still lost four games that season. His signature season with a Sugar Bowl win, they lost four games. I'm not saying the guy will be fired. I don't know how many, if anyone, will be fired because of this pandemic situation. But it's just not working, and he really doesn't have any excuses anymore. Warren was right. Be really quick as we wrap up here. Lane Kiffin. I mean, look, I told you after that Florida game, I said, look, I don't know how good they'll be, and I certainly told you after the Kentucky game. Kentucky fans, I know you're freaking out. I know you're upset that you just gave up 42 to Ole Miss. I go, they're going to score on everybody. Now they might give up 700 yards like they did against Alabama, but they're going to score on everybody. I said it after the Florida game. I said it after the Ole Miss game. I was proven correct. They did end up losing to Alabama, but I have never seen Alabama on its heels like that. And because of it, I just think that Lane Kiffin's going to be a thorn in the side of the SEC going forward. He is just going to be a team and a program that continues to put up points, continues to create chaos. Finally, Warren was wrong. Mike Leach. I think I did a song and dance on this show <laughs> after week one, after they beat uh, LSU, and I basically, oh, he's the most underrated coach in college football. He's incredible. Look at what he did at Washington State, blah bloody blah dee blah Yeah. Not a good performance the other night at Commonwealth Stadium. Want to give a little credit to that Kentucky defense, but Mississippi State, two weeks after they set an SEC record with 613 yards passing, put up two points against Kentucky, QB is benched, and Mike Leach, after the game, said... We might have to purge players from this program, which I just thought in 2020, Mike Leach, I don't think he really cares because he's basically set at this point, but you can't say that. I will say in Mike Leach's defense that... His first year at Washington State it wasn't pretty either. The team finished 3 and 9 overall, 1 and 8 in the Pac-12 and they really didn't score very many points. Their final game of the season, their final loss of the season, they scored 7 to Arizona State, they scored 6 in one game, they scored 6 in another loss and went 3 and 9 overall. So I will give him the benefit of the doubt that 2 or 3 years down the road Mississippi State will be good. It ain't this year though. They might go, you know, we talked about LSU being a 5 and 5 football club. Mississippi State might be like three and seven, two and eight. I don't know, but I think that's it for today's Erator Sports Podcast. Uh, I think that's all we really got to say. Fun episode, really enjoyed uh, you guys joining me. I appreciate all your guys' support. As I said, uh, this Tuesday episodes kind of become fun. I think it's different. I think we hit on different kinds of topics. Monday is obviously a big recap show. Thursday is a big preview show. And this Tuesday show we get to do a little bit of everything. We get to talk about sports. We wouldn't normally talk about such as the NBA. We get to have Nick Coffee sometimes, get to have guests other times, so it's really fun. Want to make sure before we get out of here, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, please make sure to do so. iTunes, the podcast addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that other good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, at Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter. Uh, the YouTube page blowing up, doubled our subscribers since I started posting on there The uh, probably about two weeks ago. We're up to about 350 subscribers. Make sure that you're subscribed on YouTube. And I think that's it. Shout out to Tor and Craig. Shout out to Rachel Who Hates My Voice. I'll be back Thursday, by the way, with a very random but very high-profile guest, okay? A guest that you can never imagine in a million years would join this show. will join it. It'll be fun. I think you guys will like it, and it's going to be a fun interview. Take care, guys. I'll see you Thursday.